morning again. Oh, there we go. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to share God's birth with you on this beautiful summer day. I'm also extremely thankful for the AC units we have in here because uh, it's a little bit warm to wear a suit jacket in the middle of July, um, but I'll make it through. Actually, one of my favorite ways to stay cool in the summer months is to go out on a boat um, and enjoy the open water. I don't know if any of you have had that opportunity before. I'd highly recommend it if you ever get the chance to, to go boating or sailing. I've never owned a boat, only ever been a passenger, um, but there's just something about being out on the water, the sun out, and the salty air, and the wind blowing through my face. Um, but you, you get what I mean. You can imagine it if you haven't experienced it yourself, I'm sure. And although I've only spent uh, a limited amount of time on boats in my life, uh, I have come to learn um, just one general rule of thumb that I think is, is pretty wise. Always try to stay in sight of land. Now, boats nowadays have GPS and satellite radios and all different kinds of technology to make it safe uh, to be out in the water and in case of emergency or distress. But emergencies aside, it just seems like good common sense to be able to navigate by knowing where you're going by seeing the land. Because if you get out in the water and you can't see land, everything looks the same. Water looks like water no matter where you are. And I think it would be an extremely scary situation if you ever got lost at sea or out in the middle of the ocean and stuck. And I hope that never happens to you or me or anyone you know, but the Bible tells us that our lives, even as believers, are like journeys on the open ocean. And it can be dangerous, and it can be scary. The wind and the waves, which is what sin and temptation are like, they tend to toss us to and fro. And if we're not careful, we can even be sunk by them. So what should we do? We need to be prepared. We need to stick together. That's what church means. And we need competent, godly leadership to help us as a church know just how to navigate in this life as though we're adrift on the ocean. So that's my focus today from God's Word. Our life together as a church and the role that leadership plays in guiding the church through life's stormy waters. I'm calling this God's navigational plan. And altogether, our passage will give us three components to this plan. One, Jesus is at the helm. Number two, he gives elders to equip us. And number three, the church grows together. And so if you would, would you please open your Bibles with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we will read this morning's passage. We're in chapter 4 of Ephesians, and we're going to be starting in verse 11 and ending in verse 15. I'll give you a second to get there. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's give our attention to it. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, Paul writes this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word has been read, and we ask now, God, that the words of your servant's mouth, the thoughts on our minds and the intentions of all of our hearts would be glorifying to you and acceptable in your sight. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully you can see from our text that Paul tells the Ephesian church that they are not to be like children that are tossed to and fro by the waves or carried about by the wind. And this should tell us something too. See, this is our default state, that we're prone to be influenced by these things. And we need to do something about this in order to avoid getting lost at sea. What What God provides for us through Paul's letter is a navigational plan to help us to be able to discern which way we're headed and how to find shore. And so the first part of God's navigational plan for our lives is this. We have Jesus at the helm. Starting with verse 11, we read, And he gave. So who's Paul talking about here? If we take a quick peek at the verses preceding our passage, we'll notice that Paul is talking about Jesus. But he's not simply talking about Jesus. He's actually talking about Jesus as the ascended and victorious Christ. In verse 9, Paul explains that Jesus has come to earth and risen again from the dead and ascended into heaven. And then what happens? Did you catch it? The ascended Christ blesses his church and gives us gifts that we need. He's not here bodily, but he rules the church. He guides us and steers us and protects us by his word and spirit and by the gifts that he has given. I don't have time to go into detail this morning on um, verse 8 which is very interesting. Paul quotes Psalm 68, which was actually our call to worship this morning. Uh, But he takes this imagery in Psalm 68 and says this is a picture of Jesus when he ascended into heaven as a victor who rules over all things. So the Old Testament context here is that of a king winning a battle. You see, when a king would win a battle, he'd come back from the victory, and as he entered home, uh, his home city, there'd be a victory parade. And the spoils of what was captured would be shared with all of the loyal subjects. So picture a parade in your mind. Maybe like the Memorial Day parade that goes by our church house every year. Think of something like that, but just a million times better. There's a victory parade in Zion. And in this case, look at what the conquering King Jesus gives his people. It's not money, it's not possessions, it's not even candy, it's men. This should really capture our attention. One commentator put it this way, we actually should be surprised with the statement of verse 11. The Lord ascending to his throne in triumphant glory could be expected to dole out property or wealth to his people as reward for their loyal service in wars, but instead he gives men. And although this might be surprising, it's certainly not a mistake. You see, Jesus is providing for us his church. He is the head, and we are his body, 
and he gives us what we need in order to thrive. And he does so by giving us these gifts, these men. You can even say that they're commissioned by him. See, Jesus is at the helm. He's making the decision. He's establishing his church in this way and using men. Now, one thing I love about our church is that this is a central truth about being Presbyterian. In fact, our book of church order for the PCA, which tells us how to order ourselves and guides us in governing the church, in its preface, explains exactly what Paul is talking about here. It's written into our constitution as a church. And so I've, I have a slide prepared for us. I don't normally do this, but it's a long quote, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And, and just follow along with me and see if you can see where Ephesians 4 comes into play here. This is directly from our BCO. It says this, Jesus Christ, having all power given unto him in heaven and in earth by the Father, who raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He, being Jesus, being ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things, received gifts for his church, and he gave all offices necessary for the edification of his church and the perfecting of his saints. Jesus contains in himself, by way of eminency, all the offices of his church, and has many of their names attributed to him in the scriptures. Thanks, Aaron, for putting that up there. And congratulations to all of you. You've now read the BCO. So you can put that on your resume, or at least parts of it. The point is this. All the officers gifted by Christ for his church ultimately find their office established by him and contained within him. And this is important because as we look at the rest of God's navigational plan for us, we should remember this is how Jesus is leading his church. The word here is immediately or uh, in the middle. So Jesus is immediately exercising his own authority. That is, he's exercising his authority through intermediaries, these men, for the edification of his church. Now you might struggle to submit to just about any person, but knowing that Jesus has placed men in this office, in his church, surely should help. It's Jesus that's at the helm. And this is the first and most important part of God's navigational plan for you. And this brings us to our second point, or the second part of God's plan. And that is that elders are given to equip us. Now, several offices are mentioned by Paul in our text. And I don't have time to explore all of these in detail. So my focus is going to be on the fourth or the last office that Paul mentions, which is shepherds and teachers. Now, you may be wondering, Tim, that's two words. So what do you mean that's one office? Well, you're to read that as one word with like a hyphen. Shepherd teachers is what we're talking about. In our denomination, the PCA, there is one office of elder and it has two distinctions. We have teaching elders, which is Pastor Phil, these are ordained men who've gone through seminary. And then you have ruling elders, like myself. The New Testament speaks of elders in a couple of different ways. We saw last week with Scott's sermon in Acts 20 that um, elders are called to uh, uh, be shepherds over the flock, to pastor the flock. 
And we also see uh, in Paul's letters to Timothy in particular that elders are men uh, that should be able to teach. And so that we know that the role of an elder is to do both of these things, both shepherd or pastor and to teach. And because Paul is urging men to this office and these tasks, we are to understand that the role of an elder was central to the church even then, even while the apostles were still teaching. And it continues even to this day. So what are the elders supposed to do? They're to equip the saints. That's what Paul says. So what does that mean? What, what does equipping mean? And the first thing I want you to understand about what it means to equip is that there's both positive and negative aspects of that word. So on the positive side of things, it means preparing or training. Think of um, a military circumstance. And this word back in the original language was actually used in that context often. Think of like boot camp, where a sergeant is training up troops for battle. He's getting them ready. There's a preparedness and a training that's going on. And like the military, the equipment that we're talking about has stakes that are very, very high. Uh, and so training can often be difficult. There's also another positive aspect to this word equipping, which comes within the context of medicine. And it could be understood as healing or ordering. So the word for equipping was often used to refer to a physician who would set a broken bone for somebody. And in this case, the idea is that where there's brokenness and where there's pain, where there's a lack of cohesion, that's where the equipping would be used to set things straight to put things back into order and to provide healing. So that's what equipping looks like. It's preparing, it's training, it's healing, setting things straight. Many people come to the church in need of healing and the elders are called to equip such wounded ones. But there's also a negative notion to this word equipped, which comes in the form of discipline. We think back to the military analogy again. You can imagine how badly our soldiers would perform if there was no military discipline. The job of an elder is to equip the saints um, to, to not veer off the narrow road to the right or to the left. In nautical terms, we want to keep you on the right heading because even if you're one degree off, you can end up in completely the wrong place. So correction is sometimes needed. Now I want to pause here and ask a few questions. First and foremost for myself and for my fellow elders and also the men here whom God might be calling to be an elder in the future. Are you prepared to do this work? This is seriously hard work. The positive and negative sides of equipping are impossible for us to do on our own. And the stakes are extremely high too. Jesus is calling us to roll up our sleeves and get involved where it's messy and where it's difficult. And for you, church, are you ready to accept the equipping that Jesus provides through ordinary men? Can you see the Lord Jesus at the helm of the church as he leads us through men whose feet are made of clay? Now, I promise there won't be any yelling like a drill sergeant. And if you break a bone, please go to Inspira's ER. Don't give me a call. I can't help you in that way. But when you are in pain and need healing and a reset, are you prepared to go to one of the elders and ask for prayer and counsel? When you feel yourself going off course because of your sin, or even worse, 
if someone points out that you're going off course because of your sin? Are you willing to heed the discipline of Christ and go to these men who he's provided for you? This is God's will for you. This is how Jesus has established his church, and there is no other mechanism. So, so far we've seen that God's plan for us to navigate the waves and the winds include Jesus being at the helm and elders that he's given to equip us. The third and final part of God's navigational plan for the church is that the church grows together. That's right. The church itself is part of God's plan. You can't do this journey alone. You can't go it alone. Now, there may be sailors out there who have traveled all over the the oceans of the earth on their own. You probably can find them on YouTube. But that is not God's plan for his people. It's not how it works. Too many people ditch the church thinking that they're going to be solo sailors. But that's not the plan of God. His navigational plan includes not only Jesus at the helm and elders to equip you, but the church to help us get to our destination. So let's see where that shows up in our text. Take a look with me again at verse 13. Paul says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what does this say about God's navigational plan? It's a couple important of things. First, we are not where we need to be yet. We are not yet fully mature. God's navigational plan includes you becoming perfectly mature and complete, not lacking in anything. But this maturity which God has in mind for you involves other people. It involves not just Jesus at the helm, as we've seen, and not just men to equip you. It involves all of us. It involves each other. You are part of one another's maturity. God's navigational plan includes you helping me to mature in Christ and me helping you. And so we, the whole church, are to grow to full maturity. One commentator I read put it this way, the building up of the body involves its growth to full maturity. And notice that maturity here is contrasted with a warning to not be like children in verse 14. This means that when you start your journey with Jesus, you're like a child. And the church, through the equipping of the elders, is to help you grow to adult maturity so you can resist all the adverse forces that threaten your health. So what does this maturity as a church look like? Take a look again at the text. Paul is teaching here that the maturity is marked by unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. This means at least that a mature, healthy church one that's following God's navigational plan and isn't lost at sea is one that is doctrinally sound. And that's right. Sound doctrine is a key element of a mature church. But it can't just be doctrine. We need more than just good theology. The church is so essential also because it involves us loving one another and learning to live well together in unity. And this has been a theme in Ephesians before. Let me look back at the beginning of chapter 4. Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, we should be growing in unity as we're equipped to do this work together because we have a common faith in and knowledge of Christ. Sound doctrine must be married to loving, God-honoring, humble relationships. And this is not easy. But when it's working like it should, Paul says we're like a strong human body. See, he moves from the analogy of sailing a ship to the analogy of a human body. See how he describes it in verse 15. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He mentions the sinews of the body, the tendons, the ligaments, the fibers, everything that holds us together. And this is important because we are not the same person. We have different likes, we have different dislikes, we have different political views, we have different backgrounds. There's supposed to be diversity in Christ's church. Jesus' church is for all people of all ages. But there should be a growing unity in the church because that unity, Paul tells us, is found in faith in Jesus and in the knowledge of Him. So why is unity so hard? If we were all the same, unity would be easy. So we're grounded in and we have in common the doctrine of Christ who Jesus is and what he has done for our sins. But each one of us has unique gifts and strengths that are needed for the church to be whole, healthy, and mature. Finally, Paul shows us where we're headed. In the third part of God's navigational plan, this maturity that is marked by unity is measured by nothing other than the stature of Christ's fullness. Think of it this way. This is our destination. We are headed as a body um, to full maturity and nothing other than Christ himself. We are becoming more and more like Jesus together. And while we will not reach perfection on this side of glory, we are all moving in that direction together and maturing in our faith. The picture I've been painting this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that we're on a boat in the middle of the ocean and the waves are coming up above our head and the wind is howling and we're spinning around and we have no map. We don't know which direction we're going. We don't know how far away land is. We can't see the sun. We can't see the moon. We can't see the stars because the clouds are covering them all up. And if this is the position that we're in, friends, then what Paul is saying here about these officers that Jesus has given his church is of utmost importance. Because these men are given to provide the training and the discipline and the preparedness and the healing that's needed by all of us in order to survive and thrive to grow together as the body of Christ. But like journeys on the open ocean, there is danger. And while I'm glad for modern technology, even still, technology isn't perfect. Things break and storms do happen. 
Just this week, I saw a news article about an Australian man, I think his name was Tim Shattuck, and his dog Bella, who were on a trip on their catamaran from Baja, Mexico to French Polynesia. And not long after they left, they, they lost sight of shore and they got caught in a storm. And in the midst of the storm, everything on the boat stopped working. Engine stopped, all the GPS stopped, all the electronics were lost. And they were literally adrift at sea. And they drifted by wind and waves, not for a day, not for two days, not for one week. Three months they were at sea until they were accidentally found. It's actually a pretty miraculous story. Can you imagine that situation? Like, try to put yourself there. You're on a boat. Things seem to be going swimmingly. You got your dog with you. The weather's nice. And all of a sudden, you're in the midst of a storm. And the waves are crashing over the sides of the boat. And everything stops working. And you're literally at the mercy of God's creation. Wherever the wind and the waves push you, that's where you're going. You have no control otherwise. Friends, this is why we need to be prepared. That's why it's important that we stick together. That's what church means. Everyone matters. Everyone is important. Our unity is in Christ. And this is how our elders equip or prepare you to become mature. Through preaching and teaching and shepherding you towards Jesus. But they don't do it alone. Jesus is at the helm. We as elders are servants of Christ and do our best to lead you to him through the stormy seas of life. And growing together as a church, being equipped by the shepherds of the church, all with Jesus at the helm, these are the three ways that God gets us to our destination. As I close, I want to emphasize how difficult this journey is. It's easy for us to lose our focus. It's easy to start fighting start warring with one another, to get lazy or complacent or indifferent. It's easy to not care about doctrine. It's easy to sin against one another by failing to love each other. In all these ways, friends, we're challenged by Paul here to not be his children. We have things working against us. We're tossed to and fro by the waves and we're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's right, there are even men and women in this world who are against God and they're trying to confuse us, to espouse false doctrines, to give us ideas that are anti-God and His kingdom. There's Satan who is actively working against us. There is this water that hopefully we're not swimming in, but we're most certainly floating on. These are the waves and the winds, but there's hope. That's because Jesus is at the helm of the ship. He's given us men to equip us for the occasion, and he's bonded us together as his body. He did all of this that we may not be lost at sea. He did this to ensure that we would reach our destination. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus has for us. This is our reality. And maybe you're feeling a little lost at sea right now. Maybe you're feeling some turmoil or experiencing some turbulence in your life. And if that's you, I want to encourage you today. 
you are not alone. We are one body in Christ. We are here, myself, first and foremost, as the person standing up here preaching to you today. I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you. I want to pray with you, and I want to pray for you. I want to carry that burden with you, and I want to help you by God's grace through the work of His Holy Spirit to train you to be disciplined, to despise your sin, to ignore Satan speaking in your ear, to ignore the fallacies and the foolishness of men, and instead to set your eyes on Christ and His kingdom. This is why Jesus sent you elders, to remind you of what you know as Christians or to help you discover Jesus if you don't know Him yet. This is our goal, and God has provided everything we need to achieve it. So let's turn to Him now in prayer and ask Him for help. Let's pray. Father God, thank You, Lord, for providing everything we need in this life to reach our destination. We even thank You, God, for the waves and the winds that draw us nearer to You, nearer to Your Son, Jesus, who is at the helm of the ship. Thank You for providing us men in our lives and preparing them to equip us to love one another, to serve one another, to be bonded in unity as Jesus' body. Help us, God, to not be so selfish in thinking that we can do this alone, that any one of us is important or strong enough in order to sail by ourselves. Help us to lean on one another and to trust your Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it brings and the light that it is to our path. Help us, God, to live by it and to bring you glory in our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue, adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.